From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The epidemics of opioid abuse and heroin abuse have killed many people, but using these drugs can also cause a variety of other medical problems. Here to tell about them is Dr. Timothy Indy. He's professor and chair of microbiology and immunology at Upstate and a specialist in infectious diseases. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Amber, for inviting me. So it's not just the risk of overdosing and dying, but there's um, other complications, right? Absolutely. But let's go over some sobering numbers um, first that I think uh, people should be aware of. And we've read about in the news, you know, about the opioid epidemic and the number of um, deaths associated with that. So the the Center for Disease Control and Health uh, and Prevention in 2015 reported that there were 52,404 overdose uh, overdose deaths during that year. From 1999 to 2015, the CDC reported 568,699 overdose deaths. That's, wow. Let's put that in perspective. During the Vietnam War from 1965 to 1974, there were 47,000 military casualties. So there was almost a 12-fold increase or, you know, in proportional um, deaths from overdose as compared to one of our most brutal wars ever. It's really a sobering, you know, sobering fact when you think about it. Um, according to the New York State uh, Oasis program, they recently released some estimates about what the uh, drug use problem is is in New York. They came out with a sobering statistic. They, they estimated that about 12% of the population in New York have substance use disorder. 12%. 12%, which is incredible. And if you think about the eight counties in central New York, um, that includes Cayuga, Cortland, Herkimer, Madison, Oneida, Onondaga, Oswego, and uh, Tompkins County, if you look at the demographics, and it's 12%, that's 95,000 people in our area in central New York with substance use disorder. Um, in Onondaga County itself, in 2016, there was 108 opioid deaths and 71 deaths in 2017. So these are incredibly sobering numbers. And um, if you think about it, it just, um, it's just striking, right? Um, how well, uh, how this is affecting our families and our, and our loved ones here in central New York. So the, the original question you had was, you know, what are the complications? And appropriately, we focus on the deaths because, um, you know, that's, that's a number that's e- easily tracked, sure. as you can see. Uh, the CDC in, um, reported from 2016 to 2017, there were 142,557 opioid-involved overdoses with ER visits. So these were ER visits that didn't result in death alone. So it gives you an understanding of the breadth of the problem besides just the deaths alone. And, and the deaths are just the tip of the iceberg. Um, so when we think about it, um, like an iceberg, there's a tip with uh, the fatalities. Then you have the ER visits from overdoses. But then you have the whole population underneath that uh, with infections related to uh, IV drug use. So when we think about that, there are really two components to this. Um, there is um, infections related to the sharing of needles. So when a a heroin user or injection user uh, shares a needle with someone, they, they actually share part of the blood and inject it themselves. If that uh, person they're sharing with has HIV or hepatitis C or hepatitis B, then they'll infect themselves. So that's one aspect of the um, infections you can get. That's a, from a dirty needle. From a dirty needle. Um, 
you know, the in Onondaga County um, in Central New York, there are clean needle exchanges um, that uh, drug users can use, um, so that they can go in, exchange needles, use a clean needle. So that has done a lot in reducing those types of infections. Okay. But everyone realized, and I think everyone has had a visit to the doctor where they went to the phlebotomist and had their blood drawn. And you remember the, the details that they go through. They, they cleanse the skin several times with a sterile pad. They make sure that the site is sterile before they insert the needle in. And that's because a needle inserted through a non-sterile site can introduce bacteria into the bloodstream. And that's really the underbelly and the problem that we're seeing um, related to IV drug use is those bacteria then spread through the bloodstream. They cause uh, infections at the site, a skin abscess. They can result in an infection within muscles and skin called a necrotizing fasciitis, which can be severe enough to result in amputation or death. The bacteria can proliferate and then seed onto the heart valves, uh, a condition which we call bacterial endocarditis. And the bacteria will actually form a large, um, what we call a vegetation on the valve, requiring removal, or they'll die. They can break off and go into the lungs, causing an abscess. The bacteria can also lodge into the spine and proliferate, causing a spinal abscess that result in a bone infection, but also paralysis. These all things that you're describing sound like medical emergencies. They are truly medical emergencies. And the problem with... um, um, addiction and, and heroin use, um, they don't realize that they are as sick as they are until they are very, very ill. So they come in the emergency room uh, in sepsis um, with bacterial you know, infections that are very, very severe. So they are really at the far end of the spectrum. So this, this is the underbelly that we don't really talk about that the public should be aware of. So what are the numbers? So... Um, in, um, if we look at the serious infection in heart valves called endocarditis, um, there are five reported in Syracuse in 2011. This has increased to 37 this past year. In our wow. own, my own personal experience and what we have seen in the Infectious Disease Service, uh, we have seen as many as 19 kids at University Hospital. Um, just yesterday, I got a report that there are 17 uh, kids there. We also cover Krauss Hospital, and there's three to four there. Um, there are numbers of, of uh, young adults with the same problem at St. Joe's. And if you think about a 20-year-old who comes in with this type of serious disease, so we've recently had a, a patient who had two heart valves that needed to be replaced. I mean, a heart valve in a 20-year-old requires lifelong medical therapy. There's a half-life to heart valves, so they'll have to be replaced in 10 to 15 years. I mean, these are just serious medical problems. So it's a lifelong repercussion. Absolutely. Wow. So what is done for um, these younger patients that come in with bacterial endocarditis? What, can you, can, do you necessarily have to replace the valve or can it be treated with medicine? Or If it's early, it can be treated with antibiotics. And we're talking about a six to eight week course of IV antibiotics. Um, the problem is that we, we do it through a special line, um, an intravenous line called a PIC line that can be um, stay in place for up to several months. But the problem with, um, uh, with addiction and um, opioid users is that they are not capable of going home with these things because of the potential of using it. Misuse. For, so they end up staying in the hospital for eight weeks. 
Holy cow. How much does that's got to cost a lot to keep someone in the hospital for eight weeks? So we're talking probably on average between two to $300,000 for a hospital stay, wow. including antibiotics. And if they require a heart valve replaced, then that's, um, that's a lot. You know, there really is uh, no reporting mechanism for this. So the CDC doesn't track these types of infections. There's no reporting mechanism in um, central New York to record this. So we really don't know what the incidence rates are in um, IV drug users for this. There have only been a, a couple of, of studies that have done. They've been very small. For example, in 2010, in the American Journal of Drug Alcohol Abuse, uh, a Colorado study followed uh, 51 heroin users over time, and they found that 55% reported a skin infection at some point in time during their drug use. 29% uh, reported a serious bacterial infection. So if we think about that, and we think about the 95,000 potential uh, people with substance use disorder in that county, many of them which are uh, IV drug users, we're talking about a huge number that will have uh, bacterial infections as a complication of that. And is different bacteria necessarily, or is it all the same kind of we see, uh, yeah, that's a very good question. We see common bacteria, and it's usually bacteria that live on the skin, so Staph aureus mm -hmm. and Streptococci. But um, if bacteria get mixed into the uh, to the mixture that they're injecting, which includes gram negatives like E. coli and other things, then they'll also have that type of infection as well. The other the other problem with it, why besides just you know the penetration of a dirty needle into the skin releasing bacteria, the the addict also has other health problems associated with their addiction. So uh, nutrition's not on top of their list, right? I mean, it, their focus is on getting their next fix. So they have uh, nutritional problems that uh, depress their immune status. And then the opioids themselves have uh, immunosuppression, so they depress the immune system. So that combination with um, a less than sterile needle, injection of bacteria, uh, nutritional status, which makes them uh, more uh, immunosuppressed, uh, really is a kind of a perfect storm in yeah, why we're seeing like this. it sounds like it. Makes a very vulnerable patient. I've got some more questions, but let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Timothy Indy, Professor and Chair for Microbiology and Immunology at Upstate. Well, I'd like to ask you about, um, you and your wife have uh, shared uh, that you've seen the effects of opioid abuse up close with your son. So I wanted to see if you can share that with our listeners. Sure. Thank you, Amber, for asking that um, so like a lot of families um, in our area, we've been touched by uh, the opioid e epidemic by having uh, one of our own family members, uh, our son, who um, over a process of a number of years developed a fairly um, a, a out of control heroin addiction. Um, and his, uh, his story um, really uh, taught us a lot about uh, addiction and recovery. And... Um, like a lot of families, uh, we went through um, it was a lot of personal pain uh, with him. Uh, he started using, um, misusing drugs in high school? In high school, you know, which led to a serious heroin addiction by the age of 24. And um, he had um, uh, failed two rehab programs, tried to go cold turkey by himself three times without success. Um, he actually uh, OD'd twice, um, was recovered by... Uh, naloxone in the emergency room. And um, we brought him home, um, and he was up to, uh, I think, a 200-day uh, heroin addiction. Went from 175 pounds to 140. And uh, watching him, uh, we realized that he was slowly dying. And uh, we reached a critical point where 
I really honestly, we both felt, my wife and I felt like he would, would, would die in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, we got him to a recovery specialist that was recommended to us, Tom Murphy, um, who said we have to get him into a program. And at that point in time, uh, my son was um, just exhausted. You know, the, the world of an addict is a very constricted world, which involves getting up in the morning and thinking about what your next fix is, and then what your next fix is, and then what your next fix is. And he and wanted to get off of drugs, though. Right? Yeah, every addict wants to get off drugs. And I think that's the premise. It's just how to do that and, and what kind of um, a program resonates with each. And every individual's recovery is different. Uh, for my son, uh, he was. Um, we sent him um, to a Sierra Tucson rehab facility for a detox and a 30-day program. And then uh, he was then... Um, uh, recommended and accepted going into a long-term recovery in uh, BRC, which is bringing real change in Austin, Texas. And the program uh, was a 12-step uh, a program that was uh, highly structured um, with um, a very strong peer recovery group, um, which had a 90-day program and then a step-down uh, program uh, leading into sober living, life coaches, and the program lasts for a year. So we... Um, uh, we found a program that worked for my son. The transformation of him was just dramatic. Um, in his words, he, he says he's finally found peace and serenity, and he's been sober now for almost 20 months. <clears throat> and um, he, in, in return, is, is helping others in recovery. He is uh, a sponsor for three others and, and helping hospitals develop recovery programs and has a full-time job in Austin, Austin Texas. Um, so we... We didn't, uh, our insurance, like a lot of families, did not pay for any of this. So, you know, fortunately, we had the funds to support my son. And uh, what he taught me were, was a couple of very important lessons about um, recovering addiction. Um, the first is that um, despite what a lot of programs tell you, rock bottom um, means death, and hitting rock bottom is not an acceptable choice for, for addicts. Number two is that um, it is, of course, their choice to go into recovery programs, but families are often excluded from their process. This was unlike the program we sent we sent them to Austin, which actually integrated us into weekly phone calls, keeping us up to date, making us a part of his recovery and healing process, which I think is incredibly important. And, and thirdly, that... Um, when you reach a state of recovery, he, he came up uh, over the Christmas holidays, and, and everyone who saw him and knew him realized he finally found some peace and healing. And that inspired two others of his uh, uh, friends who are uh, also dealing with addiction to go into recovery program, in fact, the same one. And um, as my wife and I learn these lessons from our son and, and, and try to, to reach out and help others, uh, we realize that, um, you know, there are a lot of kids out there who, who don't have the money or the funds to get into a, to the recovery program. So we work with Tom Murphy and we sent, um, he recommended a person who is ready for recovery and we personally financed this person to go into BRC in Austin where that um, person has, has done extremely well. And we said, well, that, um, that was important. Let, let's do another one. And so we sent another uh, friend down there and another colleague uh, who identified a, a, a person in need, and we financed that person. And so far, there have been um, uh, six people from Syracuse that are going through this program. And and um, together with a, a board we established, we uh, we established a charity 
um, so that we can accept donations uh, through a 501 with the community foundation um, to be able to support uh, more young adults with addiction to go into long-term recovery programs. Well, let's share uh, what that is, um, the web address for people who are interested in learning more, wwwroad to the number 2, recoverycny.com. Road, R-O-A-D, to the number 2, recoverycny.com. Yes. So, well, thank you so much for being willing to share your story. Well, thank you for inviting me. Information, we appreciate it. My guest has been Dr. Timothy Indy, Professor and Chair of Upstate's Department of Microbiology and Immunology. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.